Well, already I think we could say our hearts have been stirred by being together here this morning. Through the singing and through our Sunday school and looking at the life of Job and many thoughts came to the surface in our class. We had quite a, a nice number there this morning and many of those things could have led to even a greater discussion, but it's kind of like you pick out a few things here and there and under each thought or, or concept there's a, a well of water that is yet untapped. And you're kind of like a, a, a boy in a candy store when it comes to the things of God and the Word of God. And he desires us to have that desire for him and that look into his word in that way. So I really appreciate the service so far here today. You know, today is a divine opportunity. I had to think of a thing Jesus said. And you know, when you consider the, the, the freedom we have to be here this morning in this way, Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 17, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And I thought, you know, many Christians in our world today um, would just love to have this opportunity we have right now to worship God freely in spirit and in truth without the threat of persecution. God indeed provides a hedge of protection. We talk about the safety that is available from God, but also really prevalent in our talk and in our discussion was what if God would remove those things and those blessings? Would we then serve him in the same faith and in the same strength? And I trust that as we have that reality of God in our hearts, it would be unwavering in the face of persecution. We don't know how long our freedoms will continue as such, but it seems like God is, in a sense, giving us a testing ground in our day and time, much like he gave persecution in other times and even today. But he wants to see how his people serve him when there is a sense of ease or freedom. That too has its own challenges of how we serve God. In the book of Judges, and you might remember this, I won't turn to it, but it said in, in um, after Joshua died, that there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And because of that, they began to, to do evil. They began to serve other gods. And my thought is, you know, if in the same way, if we fail to fill our hearts with 
the things of God and to enlarge our that void in our spirit with the things of God, uh, the same thing can, can happen to us. You know, other things of this world will by default kind of creep in there and fill in that void. It just takes a conscious effort to, to maintain abiding in Christ and abiding in the vine. It takes a desire and a continuation in that. And it's like in the time of Joseph in Egypt, after Joseph died, and it said his brethren died, and all that generation died, and there now arose a new king who knew not Joseph. Who knew not Joseph. And things took a, a turn for the worse. I think the same is true with God's people as we forget the works of God or fail to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, as a people of God, we do believe in the goodness of God. That is a mark of true faith in Hebrews, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We may not always see it in this life. But I like that verse that Chad read this morning from Psalms 116. Thou hast kept my soul from death, my tears, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is our goal and confidence. Just not, it's not just an Old Testament concept, but I think it's for the people, us here today. For a thought this, this morning, for a message, I'd like to consider a phrase or a concept that appears um, not real often, but the, the idea of the day of visitation. The day of visitation, in the Greek, that means to kind of look over, to inspect. And there might be aspects of God visiting physically, and we'll look at a few of them, but I invite you now to Luke chapter 19, verse 37 through 48. Luke chapter 19, verse 37. And it says, when he was come nigh even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that, he, that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. 
And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Beginning there in that verse 37, you notice the enthusiasm, the excitement. It says the whole multitude of the disciples. I think it was probably more than just the 12 disciples. And they were rejoicing. They were caught up in the excitement of Jesus and his presence and his coming into the city. And the mighty works that they had seen. You know, maybe their excitement was rooted in, in that they maybe expected Jesus to bring about a deliverance from the Romans in an earthly sense. That day will come when Jesus will put down all rule and authority and he will be given that period of time for that to happen where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess where he will be king of kings and lord of lords there won't be a question and they might have been a little bit off in that but they were praising the lord and jesus did not condemn them in fact he commended them in a sense in verse 41 i tell you that if these if these should hold their peace the stones would immediately cry out but then we see where he came and he looked over that city and a change came upon Jesus. He says he wept over the city. And I, um, I remember seeing an artist's rendition of this, um, possibly where they, they drew a picture of Jesus sitting there um, contemplating that he, well, you know, he had his supporters there at that moment. Um, but yet he still lamented what could have been. Um, I'm not sure what all, you know, a mixture of emotions because it was winding down for him on the, on the earth. This was yet a week until he would be put to death. He was surrounded by his supporters, and yet he saw something that brought him grief. You know, if only they could have seen and accepted. And maybe he was lamenting the hardness of their heart and the fact that that city would go through a time of destruction because of that. They failed to see the visitation of the Lord upon their, his presence upon them. You know, and that is a challenge to us to see. What does that mean to see the visitation of God? But I think it, it means to be in tune and in fellowship with um, his spirit, with, with the things he is showing us 
from, the, from his word. And it's amazing to me that the scribes of that day that wrote down the scriptures could not see. They were among the, the ones that were often um, in the category of those who were blind and could not see and yet spent their time painstakingly copying the word of God for us today. Maybe it's a little bit like China being the largest producer of Bibles in our day. But these were the ones that Jesus said they missed. They missed the things that belonged unto their peace due to the hardness of their heart and the blindness of their eyes. Jesus says in verse 44, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In a true and, and real sense, you know, our time here on this earth, we are kind of visitors. This is our chance to visit God's creation. We are his guests. We are giving the privilege of visiting his creation for such a time as this. But while we are indeed here in this world, there are, we, you know, we, you would have to say that there are that aspect of God visiting us, his presence, his Holy Spirit. And you could say encounters with God when his presence and his person comes upon our life in greater ways in unusual ways. You know, we sing that song, Lord, I am fondly, earnestly longing into thy holy likeness to grow, thirsting for more and deeper communion. We say that. We want more. I think sometimes we want, we want it in a, in a small dose or moderation. But when God's presence, when he answers that prayer, are we ready for what he has for us in regard to that? Jesus said our, our desire should be and will be, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that filling of God may well be a, an aspect of his visitation upon us that he wants to give to us. <clears throat> the last part of this chapter that I read I think it brings out a, an important understanding of, of something we face in our life and a concept there where it says the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. They, didn't, they weren't just neutral concerning this Jesus. They weren't just indifferent or aloof or, or just laughed it off. No, they wanted to destroy Jesus. They wanted to actively get rid of him. And often the way to do that is to kill them. In the Bible, it seems like there was a lot of killing in the Old Testament. Well, you know, Satan came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's his purpose for us. But verse 48, here's the good news. They could not, they could not find what they might do. In other words, they couldn't do this. 
because there was no good way, there was no avenue, because the righteousness of God's people was holding that back. It was holding back the gates of hell. In fact, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In other words, the church is on the offense for all the people who were very attentive to hear him. And because of that, they weren't able to carry out their plans. I think of that concept in relation to God's hedge of protection upon us and our calling and authority as the people of God to walk in that strength. So let that verse, let that be an, uh, an encouragement to you in your walk. Hearing the voice of God, being attentive to him. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and hear my voice. And as such, they follow me and I give them eternal life. No man shall take them out of my hands or pluck them out of my hands. So God's day of visitation, his opportunities that come upon us in this life. We, um, we look at that and we partake in that with an aspect of redemptive um, spirit toward those without. Love for those without in 1 Peter 2, verse 12. It says, having your conversation honest among men, that whereas they speak evil against you, they may by your good works glorify God in the day of visitation. I believe that's saying in the day of their visitation, where God would visit them and bring to light our testimony and our witness, even to those who would speak evil against us. I would like to <clears throat> turn now to an example of God's visitation <clears throat> upon an individual in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to draw some thoughts here from the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. It says, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Abraham sitting in his tent. You could say it was maybe the lazy days of summer. There was not much going on. Maybe it was too hot for him to work that day, and he was just a good day to be under some shade and taking it easy. Well, that's where Abraham finds himself. Even though he has wandered from his father's household, yet he found a new normal, you could say. But verse 2, it says, He lifts up his eyes and, be, and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground. <clears throat> you know, I looked this up a little bit about his Abraham's response to these men, and it was it was not typical to do that just for an ordinary visitor to to run to them and to meet them and to to do that and to bow down to them. It was um, <clears throat> in that culture, you know, that was only something that you did for. <clears throat> For um, 
royalty or, or deity. <clears throat> and even though, you know, these three men, they, I think they had the appearance of, of regular men, Abraham was quick to recognize the presence of these men as something that was unusual. He addresses them as the Lord in verse 27 and other places. And the thought is that two of these men were angelic visitors in the form of a man, and the third one was um, God himself in taking the form of a man or the appearance of a man. And we get that from verse 22 where it says the men turned their faces from thence and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And we know as those angels went toward Sodom, there was only two of them. And so the thought is here when, when Abraham stood yet before the Lord, that was one of the... Uh, that was one of the men that was actually a theophany is a term that they use for God in, and coming in, in the form of a man. <clears throat> so the point is these were, these were unusual people, but Abraham, he had the instinct and the insight to recognize them as God himself, or at least messengers of God. Notice his response here the immediate response of Abraham. He forgot the heat of the day. He, he forgot, you know, what he was doing that day, I'm sure. And he ran to meet them. He bowed himself toward the ground. He spoke to them in entreating ways and in um, not fearful ways, but he entreated them to stay. <clears throat> he provided them water to wash their feet, and I'm sure he provided them for drinking as well and to rest themselves <clears throat> under a tree. And he hastened to do all these things. Notice how often it speaks of him hastening. Um, verse 6, he hastened into the tent and, and spoke to Sarah and told her to quickly provide food, prepare food. Abraham ran <clears throat> unto the herd, verse 7, to get a calf ready, and he hasted to dress it. <clears throat> you know, we started off a little late this morning, and we hasted to the house of the Lord as best as possible until we got behind a slow car. Normally, I don't like to rush to church. But... What better place to rush to, right? If the Lord's there, let us hurry, let us haste. He saw them as God. He recognized the presence of these men as an opportunity to, to obtain goodness and blessing and promises. This wasn't the first time Abraham had met with God, so I think um, very possibly he, he was a little quicker to recognize that God was coming to him that day. Abraham had already been given promises of God. He believed, he received those promises, and as recently as the previous chapter, verse 21, he says, My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time, in the next year, 
in the next year. So God was narrowing the window of, of fulfillment of this prophecy that he had given almost 25 years ago. And a confirmation of that is always in order, you know, with people of faith. Or anyone who walks in faith or is, you know, we, we like confirmation that, that we are with God and that he is walking by our side. And anything, you know, that stands to verify that and to support that in our minds, we welcome that. Also, out of this encounter with, with these angels, Abraham had an opportunity to intercede for his, his, um, his nephew, Lot. He interceded for Lot. And I believe that is a great call and a duty of the church in our time to intercede one for another in prayer and supplications. We do that. You know, this story, it's, it's got a lot of, of things we could lift out of here. But I might just bring, bring up uh, verse 17. It's interesting to me where it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Why was the Lord discussing this with himself in this way? As if he was a little bit undecided about this. But I believe that God knew God knew that if he told Abraham and spoke to Abraham concerning this, I think the reason he asked himself that question is because he knew Abraham would intercede for Lot. And in doing that, I believe God would have felt bound to respond to that intercession, which he did. In fact, if it had not been for Abraham, I wonder, I wonder if Lot would not have been destroyed with Sodom. And the reason I say that is verse 29. It says that it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in, in which Lot dwelled. It, says, it doesn't say he remembered Lot. He remembered Abraham. And I think he remembered that intercession on the part of Lot and sent Lot out of that city. Well, the day of visitation, it can, it can mean a number of things to us. And I think it all depends on where we are in our closeness to God. It can, it could mean apprehension. It could mean a celebration. I think on the part of of uh, Abraham, he wasn't fearful. He was excited. He was, he was like uh, someone who's making a discovery here of, of a treasure chest that was buried in the ground, maybe. And while Lot received these same men with pretty much some of the same enthusiasm, um, Lot also prepared a feast for these men. <clears throat> but you know, Things didn't go very well there with that time with Lot on the part of those men and on the part of those messengers from God 
there was a great deal of conflict and, and strife that night with the men of the city. And I can imagine maybe these angels looked back and said, you know, we had a good time with Abraham. We had a cordial time with Abraham, and that was relaxing. But this here is, this here is hard. There wasn't the peace. There was discord in that situation. When God visits us, I had to think of Job. He got a visitation from God in our lesson this morning. And we discussed how Job did not see what was going on in the background. But when he received that distress at the hand of Satan, he, do you remember his response? He worshipped. It says he worshipped God. Imagine that. That's what a closeness will God with God can do for our perspective when we're faced with whatever it is, good or bad, we worship. That is a lesson, and that is a call upon our lives to see God and to attribute God to the things that may even be from Satan in the bigger picture. To find our place in submission to that. Describing the way of the heathen and those who serve idols, there is a verse in Jeremiah that says this, they are vanity in the work of heirs. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. They shall perish. But Job himself said these words, Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. Job 10, verse 12. In spite of him not seeing what was going on in the background, he was able to say that. Isaiah 10, verse 3, it asks, it asks this question very point blank. It says, what will ye do in the day of visitation? Also in Jeremiah, chapter 27, verse 22, God speaks of a time, a time of, of when his people will be carried to Babylon. And God says, there shall they be until the day that I visit them. Until the day that I visit them, saith the Lord, then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. You know, in a real sense, we are, as the church of, of Christ, we are in a strange place. We are in, in Babylon as strangers and, and pilgrims. The, um, the writer Peter beseeches God's people as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And that is our call. I think I'll turn to first Peter. We already read some from there this morning, but he says, chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, 
they may by your good works which they shall behold glorified God in the day of visitation. So that was in the same context of God visiting his people and showing them, depending on our standing with him, we might be fearful, we might be joyful. The choice is up to us. I think our expectation should be one of desire for God to show his glory and visitation and to bring that upon our lives. We had a, uh, last Sunday night, we had a song service at Bang Church. And it was not a thing that happens too often. It was like a fifth Sunday interdistrict song service where the opportunity was there for a large group of people to sing. And Brother Chad had some special music there. I'm sure some of you took that in and enjoyed it. One of the songs that um, Chad provided for us in that special singing was the song for all the saints who from their labors rest. Written by a man called William Howe in uh, 1864. And as that song was rendered, most of the music, it, it has about four verses. But when I looked up this uh, original text that he wrote, it was, it was like 11 verses. Well, I'm kind of glad they didn't sing all 11 verses that night. But I think they lifted out of that text four of the nicest verses that were part of that. I thought I'd read it here this morning. And it gives us perspective of a larger work that God is doing for his people. It says, For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confess, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. We confess the name of Jesus before the world. That is our testimony. They overcame by the word of their testimony in the midst of, of sore affliction, things that we can only imagine, I think, in our setting. But verse 2 says, Thou wast their rock, their fortress, and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. And thou in darkness, Lord, their one true light. Do we recognize that source, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people of faith? Do we connect and identify with that same strength and faith that they had? It speaks here in the third verse. It talks about the golden evening brightens in the west. Soon to faithful warriors cometh rest and sweet the calm of paradise the blessed. That picture of maybe approaching the end of life, having fought the fight, having kept the faith, that golden evening, it's a picture of someone approaching their end of this life. But it is a hopeful, it is a hopeful thought and endeavor it is a hope of rest. Death is a sweet release in many cases. 
And that's how that third verse ends. But one more verse remains. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Alleluia. Alleluia. And I see in my mind a day when the king of glory passes by, kind of like maybe a parade of sorts. Let's hold that picture of, of God's triumphant saints arising in bright array in that day when he will bring to light all the secret things of our lives and the call upon our lives to live holy and blameless before him by the grace of Jesus. We'll call for a song this time.